How long can you wait to sue a company you've invested in? Today on the podcast, we're talking about a ruling out of Delaware that changes the equation on that and about what this all has to do with the opioid crisis. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. We all know that, generally speaking, companies have a duty to their investors to, well, not mess up. But the actual contours of where that duty begins and ends is a source of never-ending debate, and a lot of that debate takes place in Delaware Chancery Court. Delaware judges take corporate law really seriously. It's actually one of the main reasons why there are so many big corporations headquartered there. Well, that and the favorable tax rates. A few days before Christmas, we got a really interesting ruling from a Delaware case in which a pension fund was suing the company Amerisource Bergen, one of the top wholesale drug distributors in the country. The fund argued that Amerisource willfully ignored huge red flags about all the opioids it was distributing, and as a result, it had to pay out huge settlements to opioid victims, thus hurting the fund's return on investment. This is what's known as a Caremark claim, where investors can sue if their boards of directors knowingly ignored problems for many years. The question at issue in the Amerisource case is, when you say many years, how many, many years are we talking? How far back can Amerisource investors go to prove the company was mismanaged? Delaware Judge Travis Laster seemingly answered this question with his December 15th ruling, and it's not what Amerisource and every other corporation was hoping, although to be fair, the investors didn't get everything they wanted either. To break all this down, we're going to be hearing today from Carlos Chapman, a law professor at Washington and Lee University in Virginia. She spoke with Bloomberg Law reporter Jennifer Kay about why this ruling from Judge Laster was so important and what it could mean for corporate accountability. But first, Chapman talked about why corporate law nerds like her love Delaware Chancery Court so much. It's nice to have judges who are experts in the area, who take the craft very seriously, and who seem to care about what business leaders think, what professors think and what practicing lawyers think as well. Um, so I, I just appreciate the thoroughness with which they write opinions, the timeliness. Most of the corporations we care about are registered in Delaware. So you can read a chance record opinion and understand the path of corporate governance. Um, it also is foreshadowing of what the SEC and other federal agencies might be doing too. So it, it's just a great way to stay abreast of what's happening with corporations. Okay. And so we are here. Um, we're talking about Chancery Court because for these kinds of lawsuits, they're claiming the company's leaders need to be held accountable for an alleged wrongdoing. And that's not too unusual. But what the judge in this case did was something unusual. He applied a new framework for evaluating the statute of limitations in these cases. So what did the judge do differently here than other judges who might be looking at similar investor claims? Well, this seems to be a case of first impression on statute of limitations. And what was interesting to me as I read the case, I realized I've never thought about at what time frame we start a breach of fiduciary duties lawsuit. And I'd never thought about statute of limitations before because so many of these cases just get dismissed outright. Um, and so what I appreciate about this opinion is the judge is parsing the difference between evidence that gets to come in and when liability begins. So he's saying we can, con we can consider evidence going back past the date that I'm saying the liability begins because we need to evaluate the total circumstances. But these plaintiffs can only recover to a set point in time because I believe they've rested on their they've rested on their rights 
they could have pursued a claim sooner. So we're not going to give them all of the time. We're not going back, you know, to when the opioid crisis started. We're going back to a set point in time when they knew or should have known about the red flags. Um, So it's a great primer. I mean, it's like, what, a 100-page opinion. It's a great primer on both fiduciary duties and the Caremark standard, as well as how we should be thinking about statutes of limitations in these cases. So he called this a Goldilocks approach, I guess, because (laughs) instead of, uh, you know, one bed is too hard and one bed is too soft. But this one, this middle approach is just right for a statute of limitations. I also felt like it was like a Solomon approach, like he's splitting the baby. (laughs) You know, it's like he's not letting the plaintiffs go all the way to the beginning. He's not letting the defendants have just the most recent. You know, as you say, it's Goldilocks. It's just right. And this was something that hadn't been super clear in case law previously, right? That there had, like you said, that there had been some, it had never been super clear cut as to what the statutes of limitations was in these kinds of claims or how to evaluate that statute of limitations. This is now setting a a precedent, really, that this this is how we should be looking at these claims when they involve wrongdoing over a long period of time. Yes. I will say this, too. What's interesting about Caremark claims that have been successful over the years, um, these cases are unique in that, you know, this is a tort that started in the 90s, right? It started when um, they released OxyContin and started doing the control release OxyContin, and it kind of evolved over time where we now have an opioid crisis. And usually with these Caremark claims, you've got like a lightning rod moment. You know, with Bluebell, you've got the Listeria outbreak. Um, with Boeing, planes fell out of the sky, right? Like, you know, there's, there's no question that something's wrong when a plane falls out of the sky. This is kind of telling us what to do when they're suspicious, but there's not that lightning rod moment. And this is a different lawsuit than we've seen in other opioid litigation, right? These aren't the little guy. These are shareholders. It's These aren't people who have unfortunately lost loved ones to an overdose. So w- this isn't a ruling that would ever help them, right? I don't think so. I think, you know, the reason that these shareholders have the right to pursue the claim is that the users and the people who've lost their loved ones pursue their claims, and that is now evidence in their fiduciary duty lawsuit. Um, but I will say, you know, I like to Stop thinking about shareholders as big, bad shareholders because, you know, this is a pension fund, right? And most of us have 401ks, 403bs. That's what our entire retirement is invested in. Um, And so we're all shareholders, right? We're all shareholders in these corporations. And so, yes, when we aggregate into a pension fund, we feel like a big guy, but it's not Warren Buffett. You know, this is, which, what is this? This is the... um, county employee retirement fund. You know, these are folks who are making 50 or $60,000 a year whose only retirement is probably their 401k. And so I think it's important that we give shareholders the ability to question um, what directors are doing and how corporations are managed since most Americans, their primary source of retirement comes from their job and it comes from a 401k. We don't have pensions anymore. Right, so it's a chance to hold corporations accountable when 
there might not be another way to do so if you are just an average person with your average 401k. Exactly. So this opinion that we're talking about is still, it's still live. It hasn't been challenged in the Delaware Supreme Court. It hasn't been overruled. So going forward, what does this mean for, you know, other pension funds who are invested in, you know, a similarly large corporation and they want to hold those executives accountable for doing something that costs them money. So what I find interesting about this opinion is it's telling shareholders you can't wait around for enough information if you are suspicious. We have the subpoenas that were issued. We have knowledge that they are reporting fewer conflicts, controversies, you know, they're, they're reporting less than they should. And as shareholders, the court is holding them responsible for paying attention to their investment. You know, they're saying you don't get to wait until there's a, you know, lawsuit where they, where plaintiffs, third party plaintiffs prevail. You don't get to wait until there's a final adjudication. If you have reason to believe they're not complying with the law, if you have reason to believe that your corporation that you've invested in is not complying with the law, at the least, you should exercise inspection rights to find out. And so the court is saying, you know, opioids are a problem. You know that the company you invest in is not following FDA protocol and may be a named defendant in these opioid lawsuits. Why didn't you at least exercise inspection rights and, and pursue this claim back then? So pay attention to your gut instinct. If you, if you think something is wrong, if you see something, say something. Right. Or at the least, exercise inspection rights and look at the records. It doesn't mean that you'll, you'll have what you need for a Caremark claim, but it can eliminate this statute of limitations problem if you go ahead and pursue. And one last question. Could there be any unintended consequences here? Like if a statute of limitation gets extended for too long, would corporations essentially have to face an unending liability that can't be calculated? You know, I don't think that's a risk because the, the judge talks about how when we are looking at red flags, we need all the facts and circumstances to figure out whether they should have paid attention to it. And so he's making the point of limiting liability at a set point in time, but he's not limiting the ability of the plaintiffs to bring in evidence. And so the truth is, if you've had a system of conduct for 20 years that leads to this point in time, and Bluebell is the case that comes to mind with the ice cream, right? You know, they had family members or friends on the board. They never really had internal controls in place. And it was kind of like, you know, the entire life cycle of Bluebell that led to what happened as they expanded nationwide and had the incidents occur in the last five years. But the evidence of that 20 years of behavior comes in. The liability is from the strict point in time in the incidents. Um, so I don't think it's a risk. I also am not concerned because of the nature of the Delaware Court of Chancery. I think that there isn't the risk of the Court of Chancery saying, you know, hey, Ford, since 1900, you've mismanaged your corporation. So we're going to give shareholders money going back to 1900. You know, I think that the, the Delaware court strikes a balance and, and typically doesn't, you know, overcompensate shareholders. Um, I also will say, you know, a lot of these cases don't survive motion to dismiss. 
Um, so it's hard to give a good assessment of, you know, the slippery slope worst case scenario. That was Washington and Lee Professor Carlos Chapman talking with Bloomberg Law's Jennifer Kay. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Saturn. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Check out our website for more coverage. That's news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.